Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Just before we get started with the podcast here with Adam Beasley joining us for this edition, just wanted to let you guys know that we recorded this before the Dolphins agreed to terms with Frank Gore on a one-year deal as first reported by Craig Mish. So the Dolphins will be adding Frank Gore. We do touch on him as having visited the Dolphins, but don't talk about him as a confirmed signing. So just kind of keep that in mind when we get into the running back section. We're joined by Adam Beasley to talk about the Dolphins offense. Let's go and get started. Welcome into episode 27 of the Five Reasons Podcast. Thank you for finding us. We are always on iTunes, also on Google Play. If you have Android, you can also find us on Stitcher and several other platforms. Be sure not only to uh, subscribe, but also to rate and review. That certainly helps us, especially if you give us a lot of stars. And we are on Twitter now. We have a dedicated Twitter account, at Five Reasons Pod. So we're posting episodes, schedules, excerpts. And also polls there, and we actually did a poll for today's episode. We'll get to that a little bit later. Chris Whittingham and I are joined today. Our guest is Adam H. Beasley from the Miami Herald, covers the Miami Dolphins. How many years is this now covering the Dolphins for you, Bees? This is my seventh year on the beat, and of those seven years, one winning season. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds awesome. I I feel like... I feel like every Dolphins person, because now we've had, uh, you're the third beat writer we've had. I'm the only one who's begged us to come on, but the third <laughs> the, the third Dolphins beat writer we've had after Chris Perkins and Jason Leisure. And I just feel like, and this is how I felt when I covered the team, and they were better than when I covered the team. They're just beaten down. Like, it's just, you know, every year, you know, you try to build up a little excitement for the team, and then it's just, you know, crushing your soul, basically, as the year goes on. So, I, I mean, we're happy that you've at least made it through alive. <laughs> well, thanks. Yeah, thanks for that warm introduction, Ethan. I really appreciate it. And, and it's, actually, it's, it's actually fitting that you're having me on in March because they're always the offseason Super Bowl champs. Except this year, right? Yeah. Like I, th- this year is a little bit different in terms of that. And Mike Tannenbaum did not, at least as we're speaking now, has not sort of blown the doors off spending money. And on previous pods, we've gotten into, you know, w- with Chris Perkins, we got into sort of the, the fallout from the Sioux and Landry defections uh, with Jason Leisure. We talked about Steve Ross with you today. We really want to get into this Dolphins offense because, I, you know, there's so much talk about what an Adam Gase offense is supposed to look like and him getting his own players. Unfortunately, it hasn't looked really good the last two seasons. I mean, this is a team that has struggled to get out of the 20s in yards and points for a long, long time. It predates Gase, but, but certainly it hasn't gotten any better and so we want to start there with you, Beasley. If I was to ask you, what is an Adam Gase offense supposed to look like? What would you say? Well, it starts with the 11 personnel, obviously, one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. And I would say his coaching philosophy comes from Nick Saban, but his offensive thoughts come from Mike Martz. And that's kind of where his NFL incubator was, was with Martz way back in the day. I think both in Detroit and San Francisco, if I'm correct. And it's funny, uh, Gase kind of told us jokingly as an aside a few months back that he got a text from Mike Martz uh, halfway through the season. He's like, I don't even know 
what the hell I'm watching. This isn't my offense anymore. And it had gotten so far away, so dumbed down early part of last season because Gase just couldn't trust his guys. Everyone talks about the purge. It's JGI's gone, Jarvis Landry's gone. Oh, it's got to be because they butted heads with Adam Gase. And there's certainly uh, a degree that of truth to that. But I think more along the lines of he just couldn't trust them. He couldn't trust them to do the right thing. He couldn't trust that JGI would know the, uh, the pass protection scheme. Wouldn't trust that Jarvis Landry would run the right depths on his, his routes. That's that's a lot of the reason there was so much dysfunction and constipation in that offense is because everyone likes to point to the quarterback and it's easy to to throw Jay Cutler under the bus and believe me he wasn't good last year he wasn't worth the ten million dollars. But I think going back, you know, this is his third year now and going back through his first two seasons, the quarterbacks have kind of been set up to fail because. There just isn't enough around him, and not talent-wise, because the talent's not a question. J.H.I. is a very talented running back. Jarvis Landry is a very talented. He, he maximizes his ability. There's no question about that. But it, NFL offense, football offense, is, is kind of like a dance. It's not just you know isolation ball and basketball where you have a dominant player who can take over. If one of those dudes is doing the wrong thing, the entire thing looks awful. And they had three or four guys blown assignments on each and every play, and it's not like it was just one guy. It was widespread epidemic here so I think that's first of all that's why we haven't seen the offense that Mike March thought that the Dolphins would run and Adam Gase wants to run which is this upbeat fast pace I mean look I don't know if Adam Gase wants to run the ball at all and that shows you how much they had to change what they did in 2016 with JHI because they were just so dysfunctional they just couldn't the first half of the season first quarter of the season they they couldn't get up the line and get lined up and run the plays they want so they had to slow it down they had to go to a power running game but you saw I mean Gase got kind of itchy last year and he got very frustrated with Jai and then when a Jai walks out the door gets traded actually is a more accurate way to put it the offense looks completely different and it's much better now it's not you know, they weren't great last year. I mean, they weren't the Eagles. Let's not kid ourselves, but they were much better. And it's because they had a running back that knew what to do and how Gase wanted to do it. He wants to be the guy that gets to the line of scrimmage with 27, 28 seconds left on the play clock, snaps the ball and spreads it around, gets it in the hands of his playmakers. And again, you have a Jay Ajay, you have Jarvis Landry, you have these two dominant personalities who want the ball in their hands a lot. And they did. I mean, they, they they were very vocal about it and on and off the field, you know, publicly and privately that they thought they should be getting the football. First of all, the offense was far more inefficient when Jarvis Landry got volume. I think he had 160 targets last year. And we can get to this later in this conversation. But 2000 and what was last year, 17 and 2015. Landry, in each of those years, broke the franchise catches record, and each of those two years, they went 6-10. and 10. And I think there's, it's, if not causation, it's definitely a correlation there. There's definitely something that says to me that he should not have been the focal point of that offense. So I don't think, I think Gates wants to get far away from that. You look now, I mean, they could go five wide at times and, and not have any drop-off. And again, that's a, we can get into this later. I don't know if they have the, the blocking up front to let them do that. But now, wide receiver-wise, they have the assets to go and spread it out. And I think they have the trigger man in, in, in Ryan Tannehill that they trust to do that. So every year I get excited. I think you know this is the year we're finally going to see a 21st century offense out of the Dolphins. And every year they crush my soul. But I'm going to actually be excited this year because I think they have enough blocking. I think they have a quarterback that Gase trusts, assuming he can stay healthy. And they now have weapons where they can spread the ball around and they don't have to worry about getting Jarvis's targets. 
All right, I, I have a number of follow-ups off this because I think there are some Dolphins fans that, that would be skeptical of some of what you're saying. So You, you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the fact that Jarvis Landry both wasn't trusted by Adam Gase and had 160 targets. Those two things don't seem to mesh. So is it Adam Gase saying he's the best of what I have? Is it the quarterbacks who sort of knew that Jarvis Landry would catch the ball? Where was that disconnect or that, that disconnection between the coaching staff and Landry? Well, first of all, you have to understand that Jarvis Landry is always the bailout, right? Because when protection breaks down two and a half seconds and the guy's got to get the ball out of his hands, there's Jarvis standing alone four yards down the field. And that was a good chunk of their offense. I think they ran a lot of bubble screens because they feared, you know, I mean, look, Jay Cutler got hurt twice last year. Matt Moore didn't survive the season. And obviously Ryan Tannehill had a second knee injury in, in eight months. So I think a lot of it was at a necessity. They wished they, they could spread it around and go downfield. But Devontae, I mean, how much trust do they have in Parker last year? Not a ton. Kenny Stills is probably, I mean, all kidding aside, he's probably their best offensive player. He is because he's the most efficient. His yards per catch, yards per attempt is incredible over the course of his career, particularly in Miami. So he is their their most efficient player. But to have the routes that Kenny runs well develop, you need time. And they just haven't had the time. So, again, I think this is all connected. and We can get into all their offseason moves. But they, have to, they had to create an environment where the quarterback had the time to throw the ball to the players that did the best when the ball was thrown to him. And again, I think that's all part of it. Do I think Jarvis's personality kind of forced their issue? Look, you don't want a guy losing his mind every other game. And he did that. He did that to his teammates. He did that to his coaches. He did that to me at one point. We can get into that if we want a little bit later. <laughs> he's, he's a little different. He's wired differently than the rest of us. And I think that's why the Dolphins wanted to move on because he, he was just too much to handle in so many different ways and they couldn't trust the guy. Let me ask you this then, Adam, because it, if Gase has a healthy Tannehill this year, if he has you know, the spread formations that he wants with multiple wide receivers, he has backs who can catch the ball out of the backfield, which I know is one of the things he wants. If they're able to add a tight end to the mix that can be effective in their scheme, which is not something that they've been able to come up with, at least not a healthy guy over the past couple of years, and they still don't score. They're still not top end of the league or top 15 in the league in points and yards. What does Steve Ross think of that? Because, <laughs> right? Right? Because because a lot a lot of what Gase was supposed to do, I mean, there were really two things, you know, that I remember you know, talking about was one, he was great with quarterbacks, and, and we're gonna get into Tannehill here in a second. And the second thing is that he was gonna sort of as you said, move the Dolphins into the twenty first century in offense after, you know, years of guys who who were backwards in that regard. So so how does that how does that affect Gase in terms of his long term security? I mean that that's a great question. It's funny because they, who was I talking to? Mike Mayock, I think, I was on a conference call a couple of weeks ago, maybe three, four weeks ago, and I asked him, "What would you do if you were the Miami Dolphins picking at eleven, and you had four potentially transformational quarterbacks on the board?" And that's what people think. They think this this is the best quarterback class maybe since two thousand three, and there are dudes up there that could really change the the direction of your franchise. It would probably take them at this point moving up to at least. Uh, I would say four, maybe to make sure you get one of those guys. What would you do? And he's like, well, this is a, this is a franchise is at a crossroads, and it depends on who whose vision of that franchise wins out. And the question is, do you see yourself as a roster that is two years away from going to the playoffs, going ten and six, 
And yeah, you lost your QB in training camp. No team's going to overcome that, I guess, unless you're the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> they lost them two thirds of the way through the season. But regardless, if you lose your starting quarterback in this league, you're usually in trouble. Do you say, you know what, we're getting our quarterback back? We made some kind of questionable personnel decisions, but the core of our team's okay. And we can just build on this and go win, take, you know, take this next step we thought we were going to take in 17 and 18. Or do you say we have a real, real structural issue with the way this team is built? It's been with Band-Aids and caulk and plaster and whatever analogy you want to use each and every year. Because every year you seem like, aside from last year, somebody's job is on the line. So no one's going to want to agree to a rebuild when everyone's when somebody is worried about getting fired every year. What do you do? And he suggested that he thought that they were going to take the road they're taking, which is they're going to, you know, and obviously they had some major personnel moves, but they still feel like they're in it to win it this year. Robert Quinn, you know, you don't bring in Danny Amendola this year if you don't think he has a chance to win. He's not going to sign here if he doesn't has a chance to win. Sitting, Kilgore, the center. These are moves of a franchise. Not, I mean, they're all 30. Like, they're all old. I mean, Quinn isn't, but he's like 27, 28, I think. But by and large, this is a more veteran team than they had last year. That's not telling me a rebuild, right? That's telling me that they're trying to win this year. And so Steve Ross has to evaluate how they play this year based on that decision. And my guess is they're not going to get a quarterback as much as I'd love them to do so because I don't think you can trust Ryan Tannehill long-term with his health, and he's 30 now, and, and we still don't know if he's, he's a, a high-level quarterback. I would have gone all in and gotten as many trade assets as possible and tried to get up in the top four and get one of those quarterbacks I'd be stunned at this point if they do that. All right, you're the king of the segue here because that's part two. We want to touch on the quarterback situation and Tannehill. And and one thing that Chris and I have talked about a little bit, wanted to get into with you, was was the decision that the Dolphins made for a guy who has, again, not been on the field now. As we're talking here in March, we're talking about, what, 16 months, going to be longer than that by the time that training camp starts and the season starts. And the Dolphins made the decision, instead of just letting the contract play itself out, they made the decision to restructure the deal, give him additional money up front, and it changes the cap dynamics of it going forward where it's not as easy to get out of without essentially counting some money against your cap. What did you think of the decision to go forward with Tannehill like that? And then we can get into a little bit about sort of you know how you think he'll play this season. All right. A couple of things. One – Yes, it makes it slightly more difficult to walk away from Ryan Tannehill in 2019 if they want to. But I will add this bit of context. This time last year, Ndamukong Sue restructured his contract in the same exact way. And 12 months later, he's gone. And yeah, it's a massive cap hit because of it. But that's only because the Dolphins used up all the money they freed up last year in the Sue restructure. Look, the Dolphins, if they have discipline... They should be fine financially next year to move on from Ryan Tannehill because they have $17 million that's going to free up in whatever, whatever it's like two and a half months from the Sioux cut. And you guys know this, but in case our listeners don't, the way the NFL salary cap works is whatever you don't use this year, it rolls over to next. And you just have to have over, a, I think, a five-year, don't quote me on this, but a certain long enough horizon you have to meet something like 90% of the, of, of the cap. That has to be your floor. The Dolphins don't have to worry about that at all. So if they spend it on the cap this year, they can carry that money over to next. 
and money they, they freed up from Ryan, money they freed up from Sue could go and apply to, to walking away from Ryan next year. It's not impossible. Now, we know that's not what they're going to do because it's the Miami Dolphins and they're like me with a credit card in Vegas, okay? I mean, they're, <laughs> they're going to spend the money. They're going to find a way to sp- spend the money they freed up and they're going to be back in the same spot this time next year trying to figure out how to free up more money. If they had a little bit more discipline and, I guess, a little bit more luck, they didn't expect to spend $10 million in Jay Cutler last year. So that's $10 mil this year that they, had, they didn't account for. But regardless, if they had a little bit more discipline, they could clear out their, their books very quickly. They could be absolutely fine. And that's why I, don't th- I never thought that the restructure for Ryan would preclude them from drafting a quarterback. What I think what's going to stop them from drafting a quarterback is the, the cost is just going to be too high. What did we see? Who, uh, who uh, from uh, the, the Jets, Jets went from yeah from yeah. six to three, and they gave up a first and three seconds to move up three spots. Yep. Now the the Dolphins are going to have to get to at least four, and they're not going to get the three because the Jets aren't going to give up that pick. So you're talking about either two or four, where the Dolphins are going to have to get up up to. And I wrote this. I don't think it's crazy to think that they would have to give up three first round picks to do that, or two firsts and two seconds, because the market has been set to move up three spots into the top four. You need a first and three seconds. So it, I mean, they're moving up from 11 to, to 4, 11 to 2 at seven or nine spots. They're going to need to give up a lot more. And I, I don't know, honestly, and you guys, we can, an argument we can have, I don't know if any quarterback is worth three first-round picks because you don't know in the future where you're going to be, what quarterbacks are going to be available at the time. And it's not like you're trading for in his prom Tom Brady. You're, you're still kind of trading for a lottery ticket. It's a, you've got good odds on that lottery t- ticket. I mean, if you pick in the top four, the quarterbacks are usually pretty good. But it's still a guess. It's still a hope. And three first-round picks for that would be, I mean, short of Andrew Luck, I don't know any prospect coming out in the last 15 years you'd be willing to part with three first-round draft picks to do so. So anyway, that's a long way of getting back to the original point, that I think that they had hopes and, and, and expectations that Ryan would be healthy and good to go this year, and they're trying to surround him with the talent they need to. They would have liked to have had an insurance policy. Maybe that insurance policy is a Mason Rudolph or a Lamar Jackson but the idea of Baker Mayfield coming here, as much as I would love it for, for traffic growth for the Miami Herald, um, <laughs> is 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 probably not is probably not going to happen. And Ryan Tannehill is going to be our quarterback here in Miami at least this year, and maybe next year as well. I mean, let's be honest, and this is something that happened to the Dolphins when they drafted Tannehill and they started 0-7 that year and were on their way to sucking for luck. They won games that, in retrospect, are, don't mean anything and have done long-term damage to the franchise, even though that Andrew Luck is still hurt. I mean, you'd have to say that this year the Dolphins, just by virtue of being a bottom-four team in point differential, could have had one of these picks that now you wouldn't even have to trade up for it. They, that they won games that, well, obviously they, they wanted to win games in the moment, don't help them right now. It's, well, well, it's crazy. It's crazy. Think about this. Sorry to cut you off, Chris. Think about this. They were 4-7. and seven. And they had the god-awful Denver Broncos come into town. And I think they, that game was a pick em in Vegas, maybe mm-hmm. a slight Dolphins favorite. Nobody thought the Dolphins were any good. And they boat raced that team, just completely smashed them. And then I made a, like a funny crack on Twitter. Hey, if they went out, they're going to go to the playoffs because I did the math. And, yeah, I was right. If they would have won out, they would have made the playoffs. And then they beat the Patriots to get everyone's hopes up. And you look at the, you know, how they finish, Bills, Chiefs, Bills. And I don't know if either of those teams were, were world beaters. I'm trying to think that the Chiefs win their wild card game. I can't even remember now. They lost um, the, they no, remember no. they blew the, the, the three score lead to the Titans. Yes, they lost to Tennessee. They absolutely right. So neither of those teams got out of the first round. Neither of them were, were particularly good football teams. They were probably 
five, eight percent better than the Dolphins in talent, maybe. And two of those three games were on the road, but they lost all three of them. And not only did they lose all three of them, but they had Jarvis Landry do what Jarvis Landry did to get himself out of town, which was go nuts in his coach and then and, and then start a fight. And all of those, all of that against the, sub, uh, the subtext of what you're saying, Chris, is that if they had simply lost th- those first two games, we would have written off the season. And we we're like, all right, you know, it stinks to have a year like this. Uh, but at least here you have a top five draft pick, which they probably would have had at five and eleven. Is that right? They would have no. They would have been, no. They would have been four and twelve. Right. If they would have mm-hmm. lost out, and so four and twelve. And then and then you consider the other wins too. The Chargers game you win because of a terrible kicker. The mm-hmm. Tennessee game you win because Mariota was hurt. The Atlanta game is just the most bizarre game that has happened with the Dolphins team in, in the longest time. Down seventeen at the sort of Super Bowl runners-up the year before, and then you win a Jets game at home. But if you go back and look, I mean, the season should have started a lot worse. And and look, man, we didn't. you don't really think of it in the moment, but the Dolphins would have been better off saving $10 million on Jay Cutler and going 3-13 and last year. Oh, and, not and only the, that. No, no, not only that. Listen, they would have been, if they would have, and again, I, I'm actually completely anti-tank. I am. I think it's a bad way to build a franchise. I think the, Bron- the Browns, everyone's throwing bouquets in their direction now. Let's just see how it pans out because you have to hit on those draft picks. It's no guarantee. It puts you in a position to, to maybe find a franchise quarterback, and, and if you're able to get Saquon Berkeley at the same time, that's awesome. But you don't know, right? And I, w- I would rather build year in, year out. And if you if you have a quarterback you love, do like the Eagles did and, and mortgage the, maybe the future of your draft to go and do it. But in the moment, I mean, beginning of the season, we thought they were good. Well, we thought that they could be good, right? They went 10 and 6 the year before. They had a bunch more talent. And they're not going to not try to win. And they were ahead of themselves. Well, they start 3 and 2, I think. So they were two games ahead of themselves four the year two. before. They started four and two last year. I was on I was on paternity leave, so I forget half that. <laughs> but, yeah, they, but they won three in a row: uh, Tennessee, Atlanta, New York to make to to get to four and two, and then they lost five straight. Yeah, that's bad. Um, <laughs> so so regardless, in, in in the moment at the beginning of the season, they were playing to win. But by the time you get to four and seven, you got to run the table, and that they didn't have the horses to run the table certainly. But the point I was making is, if you had known then, and again, I'm anti-tank, but you you knew that you had a pretty good idea early on that Jay Cutler was going to throw some ducks up there, all right? If they had saved the $10 million in Jay Cutler, not only done that, but traded Jarvis and traded Sue, which would have been very painful for them in the short term, but you would have had the same outcome you have now, which is no endomicon. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Two. And you would have absolutely gotten – listen to this, guys. You would absolutely have gotten a good asset for Ndamukong Sue because he would have been – this for a team trading for Sue would have had him under this agreement. 2016, $10 million. 2017, $17 million. 2018, $17 million. 2019, $18, $19 million. But it's really a one-year $10 million contract with three expensive option years. So if you're a team that thinks you're going to make a run in 2017, you absolutely give up a third-round pick for one year at, at the very least of Indomitian Sioux at $10 million, or maybe two years at $27 million. Even still, that's not a bad – that's great value for a player 
who's one of the top three or four players in his position, two years at $13.5 million, you do that. So that, that's what the Dolphins could have done. Instead, they completely doubled down. They said, we're going to win this year. They didn't trade Landry. They, they didn't even consider trading Sue, obviously. And now we, we fast forward whatever it is, six, nine months later, they're picking 11 because they tried to win last year as opposed to picking four and being able to get one of those quarterbacks. They're in kind of upside down the cap. And so if they want to go get one of those quarterbacks, they have to give up additional draft picks as opposed to having a wealth of picks for Sue and Landry at the time and go into the offseason as one of the – not you're not the Browns. You wouldn't be in that position, but you'd be one of the better positions in the NFL. Again, hindsight's twenty twenty, and, and Gase is not in his DNA to tank. It's just not. As I said earlier, he thinks he can win with anybody. He's not of that mindset. So they kind of made that bed. And But you're right, though. That, that four and seven there, they could have just shut it down, but they refused to do so. He wasn't going to get embarrassed by the Broncos. He hates that franchise so much, or at least John Elway so much, that he wasn't going to let that happen. And then they kind of backed into the playoff hunt again. They, they won two straight. They were five and seven. Six and seven, I think at one point, they win those last three games and they're in the playoffs. It's it's kind of crazy. The NFL, um, there really are, and, and, and you guys, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. There really are probably only three or four good teams each year. And mm-hmm. everybody else is the same. It just depends on if, you, if you're lucky with health, you get a few breaks and you have some decent coaching. Well, I think that's been proven true. If you look at the two good years that the Dolphins have had here since what the early, you know, early 2000s, um, the two years were 2008 and 2016. And in both cases, there was a lot of luck involved. I mean, you go to 2008, you win the division because Brady gets hurt. So essentially you win the tiebreaker over New England. Um, I remember that team in 2008 with Pennington making no mistakes the whole year. They kept facing teams that did not have their starting quarterbacks. It happened like five out of six weeks. And they end up uh, you know, going 11-5 and five that year. And then you look at the 10-6 and six year two years ago. And in that year, you know, the Dolphins point differential indicated they should have been a seven and nine or eight and 18. Mm-hmm. And yet they go 10 and six. I, I guess the, the bigger question, I want to get back to Tannehill here quickly. But the question going forward is you, you mentioned that the Dolphins kind of doubled down last year. It, it has felt a little this offseason that they've done that to some degree. I mean, as you mentioned, spending 10 million dollars on Quinn this year, bringing in, you know, two slot receivers for the price of Landry, but still two slot receivers, essentially, at that price. And then, you know, the, and bringing in sitting on the offensive line but just real quick here on Tannehill before we get to the receivers you have been uh, of the media guys down here one of Ryan's bigger defenders in terms of you know the, uh, people are, are pretty polarized on him and, mm-hmm. and there's either a feeling he's good enough or he's not good enough I've gotten a sense from you that you have felt he's good enough if the pieces around him are right is that is that how you feel yeah I, I don't think he's any less talented than Nick Foles and uh, yeah it was took it took great coaching and Really good defense, although they didn't play that great in the Super Bowl, and a bunch of weapons around him. But I mean, Nick Foles looked like as good as anybody in the world Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, he was incredible, and I don't think Ryan is incapable of doing that. I just think that he has so much that needs to go right for him that it'll never happen here because it's just structurally wrong. They make mistakes. They they, they depend. A perfect example: they're going into the draft and they have. A whole mess of needs. I know Frank Gore's in town for a visit, so maybe that'll help it back up running back. But they're going to have to probably draft for need in the first round. You never want to have to do that. And so, again, I think Ryan is more than capable. I think we've seen him make throws that only a handful of people on this planet can make. And he's got the mobility, assuming his knee is sound, that Gase likes. And he's got the mindset that he likes. And I, I think he can be a really good quarterback. I think he would have been 
a pro bowler last year had he been healthy. I really do. And I'll get, again, the floor is pretty low to be a pro bowler. But yeah, I, I think he, he is better than the vast majority of people here give him credit for. For many of the things that I mentioned, pass protection, running backs don't know their, their blocking assignments. Uh, Devontae Parker can't stay healthy. I mean, there are a whole bunch of reasons. Again, every team has excuses. I do think that he is, he can be a top 12, top 11 quarterback, maybe top 10. And that's, definitely good enough if you have a good defense and that's definitely good enough if you have a good running game and pass protection yeah i I think you can win with ryan Tannehill. all right let's go to the next part of this and let's get to some of the weapons we talk about we've we've gotten into landry a little bit but i want to get into the the wide receivers collectively adam because uh there's sort of different questions with all of them Uh, the question with Devontae parker is is he going to stay on the field to start with and then is he going to compete for the ball or is this a busted first round pick. As you said, I think we feel pretty good about Kenny Stills. And, and I, I think as as he gets more opportunities, he'll be even more productive. But then they bring in, again, two guys who primarily play out of the slot, although I guess both of them can also play outside in, in Amendola and Albert Wilson. How do you see that group coming together? And is there any place for the two young guys, one of which has flashed a little bit in Jakeem Grant and the other one who seems to be somebody they're moving on from in Leontay Carew? Yeah, we'll start there. I think uh, Carew, I'd be stunned if he makes it through training camp. He has to be incredible in the spring and early summer to, to even be considered for this roster. There's just so much ahead of him. I think Grant is a weapon they need to use, particularly on the outside. He showed he has that ability. You think when he's what, five, six, wherever he is, he's a slot receiver. No, he's, he's an outside receiver because people just can't hang with him. If they don't tackle him with the line of scrimmage, he's going to get behind him. But you raise an interesting point. I don't know how all these pieces are going to fit. I don't know how they make all of these guys work without somebody getting their feelings hurt. And you don't pay $8 million, three years, $24 million to Albert Wilson, who I don't know if he's ever had more than 50 catches in his career, if you don't expect to get him the football. And I think Amendola at this point in his career isn't going to you know, get on the table and pound his chest if, if, if he's not given the ball. But they, I mean, Devante, I mean, you're talking about a guy who I assume they're going to pick up his fifth-year option. We, they have a decision by May because it's relatively low risk, although with Devante's injury history, it, it might be higher risk than most. But I assume they're going to, to pick up that option. So he's going to want it to flash to get paid. But I wish I had an easy answer for you, and I guess we're going to get some clarity next week at the owners' meetings from when we sit down with Gaze for an hour. But I, I want to know how all these guys fit. And, and, here's, and here might be the answer. You mentioned earlier, Ethan, about maybe actually finding a tight end for once, which would be amazing because here's a crazy stat. They've never had a tight end in Miami in the history of the franchise have over 800 yards receiving. And the team is, I think it's his 53rd season now. That is hard to battle. But let alone a thousand yard guy, they haven't had an 800 yard guy out of the tight end position. And I don't expect that to didn't do that way back then. No, go look it up. No, no Joe, no Joe Rose, nobody. So I kind of figure that they're, what they might do this year is just rely completely on their wide receivers and do things with their wide receivers, throw the ball in places where the tight end would be, obviously down the seam, across the middle, stuff like that. But I, I think they're going to be a totally wide receiver reliant offense. Their personnel decisions thus far have told us that's their plan. They haven't gone and tried to spend big money on their, the tight ends out there. They keep trying to talk up A.J. Derby, who I call, keep trying to call him A.J. Darby, but I, I guess his name is Derby. Um, <laughs> it, it, so if you're going with A.J. Derby too much and Mar- soccer. Yeah, right? If you're going with A.J. Derby and Marquise Gray into the draft, at least, you're going to rely on your wide receivers for your offense. So that's how I think it's going to be. I think you're going to see a lot of three, if not four, wide receiver sets. 
And to do that, to have that kind of spread offense, you're going to need a pass protect. Yeah, and, and to me, what this you know, receiver haul in the offseason was about is not having to rely on Devontae Parker. That's all it was about for me. Yeah, no, and, and it's because they can't. They can't trust him. Right. And it's not, an, it's not a knock on him personally. It's they just can't trust him to be available. So, yeah, you're, you're right about that. And so it, it creates an, an intriguing set of parameters, like a really, really cool way to look at this, this offense is if he can click, if he can be right then just the possibilities are endless. Well, it, the other thing it says, too, though, is is you got to raise some questions about Tannenbaum here because, you know, the, look, the, the one guy that they just decided to trade away, and, and I was in favor of it instead of giving the long-term contract, in Landry, you know, was a guy that Tannenbaum didn't draft. And then the, the two guys that he has, you know, gone up and gotten, I mean, to put Grant aside for a second, was Parker to make the, the pick in the first round. And then, you know, to trade all the picks to take Carew in the third round. And, <laughs> and, and, right. And, and, they, and they had to go out and get two receivers in free agency, basically, because those two guys are not where they need to be, either from a health perspective or a performance perspective. So I think it does raise some questions about Tannenbaum. All right, let's switch over to the running backs. I know you said earlier, Adam, that if it was up to Gase, uh, they might not run the ball at all. Now, they did run it a little bit with Kenyon Drake towards the end of the year, um, although his carry numbers were still not that high. If you got beyond the Denver and New England games, he carried 23 and 25 in those two games, and he, he produced. He had 120 yards and 114 yards, and, and in the New England game, of course, he had 79 yards receiving also. And then, you know, the next three games, he went 16, 13, 14, in terms of carries, where do they see the sweet spot for him? And, and as we talk today, and we don't know if this is going to happen, but Frank Gore visiting with the Dolphins. So they're clearly looking still for a complimentary back. How much burden do you think they'll put on Drake? It can't be that. It can't be 25, 26 carries because he's never done that. I don't think even in high school. Like, it was funny. We were, we, were, we were joking with him after he, he went nuts. I can't remember which one of game it was, but he had one of those games where he had over 20 carries. And he's like, I, I may have done this once in my life. Certainly didn't happen in Alabama. So, no. And here's a guy that he's explosive. He's really great in space. He can catch the football. But he, he was hurt all in college. And he's been dinged up a little bit. Not ton, a ton, but a little bit as a pro, too. I think we, we had maybe a groin injury in training camp his rookie year that kind of put him behind a little bit. So he's had some injury issues throughout his entire, at least, public career we, I don't know much about him back in high school but so yeah you can't put that kind of workload on a guy who's not 230 pounds you just 240 pounds you just can't do it so yeah I think that's why they're looking at Gore that's why they'll probably get a guy in day three of the draft there's it's a really good year for running backs and draft not only at the top end who Saquon Barkley might be he might be Barkley's crazy man he might be the best prospect to come out of the draft as a pure athlete since Bo Jackson I mean, he is really that impressive physically. And when he was at the Combine, he had uh, – I'm sorry, I'm devolving here. But he had you, – you looked at his, his measurables, and he had a bench press of Joe Thomas. He had, like, the 40 time of Devin Hester. He had the high jump of, you know, a decathlete. I mean, he was – he is a freak. I mean, we use that term a lot, but he's a complete freak. And so, yeah, he's going to be really good. But he's just part of a really deep draft at running back. And the Dolphins probably explore there uh, to, to, to add somebody else, but you do need a little bit of veteran leadership. There are, I think, beyond Kenyon Drake, there are two running backs on the roster, one of which is Norris Perry, the other of which is name I can't remember. 
and uh, they have <laughs> that's a they, good sign, Bees. They they have a combined eight carries in their career. So yeah, you need some veteran leadership, and you also need another another young, talented running back to be part of that stable. I think Kenyon Drake was really good towards the end of last year. The pro football focus numbers bear that out. And just in general, like when the Dolphins are trying to kill off the game against the Patriots, they leaned on him and he delivered. And so I think that uh, the the way that they're using their running back position is probably going to be Kenyon Drake and then maybe a Frank Gore kind of signing. But it's going to be primarily Drake, I think, that they're going to lean on. And then for me, what's interesting is, do they go for somebody in the draft? Because the one position that they've had a line of succession at is running back. And so I want to see if maybe they use another third or fourth round pick or perhaps even later. I know, you know, uh, Hurricanes fans would be excited if they went for Mark Walton, maybe in round five or something like that, and just try and keep that line of running backs going because I think that's probably the position that this management group has handled the best what they want is a guy who can be on the the field for all three downs so they can when they play that hurry up offense when they get to the line of scrimmage they don't have to substitute because when you substitute it slows things way down the 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 reason you go hurry up isn't to wear the opposing defense down it's so the opposing defense the way the NFL is run these days it's so matchup oriented that they, they, if they see a substitution, you're going to substitute as, as a defense. They don't want teams to be able to do that. They want to be able to run their entire offense with the same personnel. And that's why Drake is so appealing to them, assuming he stays healthy and can, can handle that kind of workload, that he can be on the field for, for 55, 60 snaps a game, which is crazy for a running back. I think that's too many. But that's why they really like Drake is because he can do it. You, and I think one kind of underrated aspect of his game is what Ajay does so poorly, which is pass pro. Like he laid some a gap running linebackers out last week, like like knocked them off their cleats, and that's part of the reason that Gase trusts him and likes him, and that's why I think everything that we've seen so far, they didn't trade for C.J. Anderson yet. They may, I guess, if if Gore doesn't work out, but everything that they've, they've done this offseason is suggesting to us that they feel like they can they can trust Kenyon Drake, which is a big step forward for him. He was immature last year, and he'll admit that in 2016 he was he wasn't right mentally. Got himself, I think, benched for a couple of games for missing meetings, stuff like that. He's turned that around, and I I think uh, what we've seen over the last two three weeks is a growing confidence that Kenyon Drake can be that guy that does the right thing off the field. It can stay on the field for all three downs. All right, let's transition to the fifth part here, and and this ultimately may end up being the most important part, uh, although we we saved it for last, which is the offensive line. And some interesting things have, have happened here um, that weren't necessarily expected. The, moving on from Mike Pouncey, even as much as Gase leaned on him uh, at the center spot, trading for a center to replace him in Kilgore, adding Josh Sitton, kind of a high-end guard, a year after the organization was saying that they didn't really need to pay for guards. They, they changed that pretty quickly. No, that was Chris uh, Perkins. That wasn't the organization. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. That was Chris Perkins. <laughs> Actually, it was that. It was Adam Gase too. Oh, um, okay. So yeah, Perkins was uh, was was the, the loudest voice, but there are some supporting voices in the uh, Dolphins organization. I miss right, him so- saying he's just a freaking guard. I miss him saying that so much. <laughs> so that so that has flipped, and then they flipped too on Jawan James, who who looked like one of the likely cuts, and they end up bringing him back. At right tackle, I, I guess the big picture question here is: Is this line going to be better than the lines we've seen in recent years? 
can't be worse, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I really like the, the two moves that they've made. I think Kilgore is, I mean, you're basically taking on somebody that another team viewed surplus to requirements, but the sit and signing, I think, is a good one. I, what to was me, that? Just, Sur- surplus to requirements. Requi- how, Ethan, how often does he drop that on you? Uh, that's the first time for that particular <laughs> Wow. What's wrong with that? I mean, you know. My God. What is this, an assembly line? Uh, you could just go with superfluous if you want to use a big word. <laughs> or they didn't need them. What's wrong with surplus to requirements? Anyway. Uh, uh, okay. Well, that's like that's like that phrase, would that it were. Like that was the big remember John Kerry in two thousand four, he used to say would that it were. And I was like, Yeah, I wish that was the case. That's what you're gonna say. I mean, you're you're trying to sound too smart here, Whittingham. Okay. The the point is is that they've added another adult into the offensive line room in, in sort of the context of football, right? Because, I mean, I think Ted Larson, Ted Larson was a veteran presence, but wasn't a good one. So I think that you basically have one more position than last year where you feel good about the player that you have at that position. So I think that you're going into next year hoping that Tunsil makes a leap, that Juwan James can at least be steady if not great, and that really your only kind of hole going into the line next year is right guard. So I feel much better than I did on opening day a season ago when you're basically the whole year throwing Sam Youngs and all these motley crew of guards and players that were, were getting, you know, Jay Cutler and Matt Moore hurt every game. No, and, and you mentioned the right guard position. They actually probably are as confident about that as anything because they have they feel like they have two good players that could both play there. And Ted Larson and... Um, Jesse God, Davis? Jesse Davis, thanks, man. I'm struggling, with, I, struggling with names today, man. I turned 39 a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> Whittingham. And, you have a child uh, now. I've got a child, and I've said a l- goodbye to a lot of brain cells over the years. So uh, <laughs> some of these names are tough to tough to grasp. But yeah, they, so they feel pretty good about that that right guard spot. Look, this has to be their best offensive line on paper. They've had, I mean, two years ago was really good when they had when they were healthy, but that was the big if. I mean, Brandon Albert couldn't stay healthy, and 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 that kind of went from there. And certainly, Mike Pouncey couldn't stay healthy two years ago. But I think they. A lot of people are crushing them this offseason, and yes, they have a question at linebacker, and yes, they don't have a tight end, and could they use more help in the secondary? Absolutely. But I, I think this offensive line, I think their plan's really smart because they got Sitton as a clear upgrade over the, the rotating cast of characters they had last year, and I think Jesse played a little bit on the left side, and Ted Larson was supposed to be their left guard, and he missed half the season. But I do think that this is, on paper, a really good offensive line. And I think that Daniel Kilgore is actually going to be a move that we say uh, eight games of the season, we're going to say, man, they really they, they were really smart here because they have at least an on-par player. And let's not kid ourselves. Mike Pouncey, no matter how much they pumped him up last year, didn't have a great year. And they got him, they got Kilgore and Sitton at the same price as Pouncey. And it all cost them was like 10 spots in the seventh round to do that entire transaction. I mean, that's brilliant again i i am the optimist i am usually the guy about ryan Tannehill that people call me a homer but i think for the first time in a long time we can say this offense has has a real chance to be at the very least out of the top out out of the bottom 12 of the nfl which is where they've been stuck it seems like ever since i've been on the beat all right that's what i was going to ask you is where they end up uh so so if, if i was just to say yes yes or no right now they're a top 15 offense in yardage next year oh ask me points Okay, yes or no, they're top 15 <laughs> offensive points next year. Yes. All right, there Be- you go. Because for a couple of reasons. One, I, I don't think that they're going to 
they had a lot of help two years ago and they didn't have that help in terms of turnover, stuff like that. I think they're going to create more turnovers this year than they did last year. They didn't have interception from their corners until what? Xavier Howard, Xavier Howard in the Pats game? Yeah, maybe in the Pats when he had two against Brady. That may have been the first interception they had all year to that point by a corner. That's not going to be the case. They're going to get more pressure in the quarterback this year with, with Quinn. Their, their pass rush is going to be better. So that talk about comp, playing complimentary football. I think that's going to put the Dolphins on shorter fields. They're going to score more points. Here's the key. And this is Adam Gase doesn't have an answer for this. Why are they so bad the first half of the season each year with Adam Gase as their coach? Because the second half of the season, their offense figures it out. Why don't they figure it out the first eight games of the year? It's like their offense is like a touchdown better the second half of the season. Why is that? And if they get that figured out, if they score from week one, 22, 23, 24 points a game, which they're absolutely capable of doing, and, and we should crush them if they don't do that this year. If they can score you know, three touchdowns and a field goal a game, they're going to be in most every game they play. All right, Adam, we appreciate you doing this with us again. You can follow him at Adam H. Beasley on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at Five Reasons Pod or at Ethan J. Skolnick or at Chris Whittingham. We will have another podcast coming out to you early next week. We did a, a long sit down with Eric Reed, the, the Heat play by play guy. We're going to divide that one into two parts for you because it was uh, it was that good. And help Beasley out. Tell people to download this pod. He's got to beat Perkins and Leisure. And we might have a couple of his other Dolphins uh, beat guy cohorts coming up with us in the future. So uh, so definitely uh, subscribe, download, share, rate, all that good stuff. Thank hey, you for hey, joining hey, us. Hey, oh, Ethan, yeah. one, qu- one quick thing before you go. Now, you've had Barry on. You've had me on. Is there someone you're forgetting at the Herald? You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.